The scripture reading for this morning is Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. As for in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, one who exhorts in his exhortation, one who contributes in generosity, one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Thank you, Aaron. Um, let me open us in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and start. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for being our reward. Uh, we can think of no treasure greater, nothing more that we would want than to know and to be with the creator, the infinite being, the maker of all things. Uh, Lord, what a tremendous reward that is. And because we get you, we get all those other things too. But Lord, it's because of you uh, first that we are so filled with joy because we get you. Um, that puts everything else in perspective. Uh, thank you for that reminder. Uh, Lord, as we gather this morning, um, we remember that uh, we live in a troubled world, that there is uh, there are problems. Father, we know from Romans chapter 5 that that is the result of the fall, that uh, because of Adam's disobedience to you, uh, futility has come into the world, frustration, sin, decay, destruction. And Lord, we think of Nashville this morning. Uh, Father, thank you that uh, the death toll is minimal. It could have been much worse. Uh, the explosion was tremendous, but it was not in a busy time of day or a very populated area at that time of the morning. So thank you for that mercy. Lord, we pray for those who have been affected, businesses lost, homes damaged or destroyed. And so, Lord, uh, we pray for the first responders, for the investigators, for the, the leaders who will be dealing with this. Would you grant them strength and grace and wisdom to handle the situation well? Uh, Father, we pray that you would lead the investigators to the bottom of this, that they may understand why this happened, why somebody would do such a thing. And uh, Father, um, would you just use this as one of those times when disaster comes and you remind us uh, that we are one people and help us to begin to heal our nation. And Father, speaking of healing, we thank you that Ron LaFoon is home. Uh, Father, um, it yeah. was uh, sad that he missed Christmas for uh, a good response. And we pray that uh, the doctors would understand what caused his problem and, and would heal him. Father, we pray for Rachel, and we ask that you'd give her continued strength, 
super um, supernatural strength, strength that, that is beyond what we can measure. And um, Lord, I pray that we as a church would continue to surround her and support her, not just with prayers, but physically as well. And so, Lord, as she expresses need and, and asks for support and help, Lord, I pray that we would be there to, to give that to her um, and, uh, and put her on all our hearts and minds throughout this week as we pray. Lord, will we remember to pray for her and Ron and for their healing. And Father, thank you for Cindy um, Sadler's uh, recovery, Lord, that she's off the uh, ventilator. And uh, Father, we just pray that you would strengthen her body and Lord, that you, her kidneys would begin to um, function better and better and that she would be um, strengthened again. Thank you that, uh, that you did not take her from her mom, that, uh, that uh, Joanne gets to continue to delight in her daughter. And we just pray for the healing there. Lord, that that would be a chance for Cindy to tell those around her um, of a God who heals, a God who cares, a God who walks with her. And Lord, to think of others in the congregation we may not be aware of who are suffering, who are struggling. Um, Lord, it's a, it's a, uh, been an odd year overall. And um, in addition to that, there's the normal, uh, regular struggles that we all face, the things that are not COVID-related that come upon us. And Lord, we pray uh, for our friends and our families who are uh, dealing with, with difficulties. Lord, you would remind them of your love for them, that you would remind them of your care, and that you would bring help and healing in those situations too. And so, Father, as we turn now to your word, would you use it to strengthen us? Please use your word to, um, to help us to walk in faith. And as we we're going to hear this morning, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. Lord, use your word to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're now in chapter 12. Chapters 1 through 11 is, like I said last week, typically the, the doctrinal section. That's how you think of it is there's a lot of uh, important doctrine that we learned in that section. And 12 through 16 is mostly practical. Um, not all. Uh, it's not so siloed, but, but the, the emphasis shifts there. And so as we look at uh, 12 through uh, 8 this morning, actually what I'm going to probably do is spend most of the time on verses 1 and 2 because they really set up the practical portion of the book. Um, we'll look at the rest, 3 through 8, briefly, and then probably come back to them next week, back up and cover them more in depth next week. Uh, but they do kind of fit with what we're talking about today. So we'll look at it that way. Here's what's going on is, is in the previous section, we learned that everybody needed to be saved, everybody can be saved, that we're saved because we're justified by faith alone. Um, it's not our good works, it's not our good deeds that justify us. We are justified only through faith. And, and as we move into this practical section, it's really important we don't lose that. Because if we begin to shift, if we start thinking, well, if I do these things and if I live this way, then, then God will like me more, we're making a terrible mistake. And if you remember from chapter 11, Paul said, you know, don't look at these Jews who don't believe and, and roll your eyes at them, but fear. And I said, when we looked at it, I said, why should we fear? We're saved by, by grace through faith. And the point was, if you look at those Jews and think, well, there must be something in me that made God choose me, but not them. That's a very subtle shift where you're moving from trusting in faith in, in grace alone to trusting in something in yourself, even something small. 
And, and that's the danger. So when we look at this section now, which I'm going to call the life of the justified, um, it's really important to remember we are justified by faith alone. And what we're talking about now is what is the result of that? What does that look like going forward? So how do you live as a justified person? Remember, to be justified is to be declared righteous. You get Jesus' righteousness assigned to you. And that's how you're declared to be just. Then God says that he is foreknown us so that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And so what he does is he, he takes his son's righteousness and he puts it on us. And he says, this, they are righteous because they have my son's righteousness. But he doesn't leave us there. He then says, now I'm going to work to conform you to that image. I'm going to make you grow in that righteousness that I've put on you. But we can never, ever trust in that righteousness that we produce ourselves. We're saved by grace now. We will be justified by faith alone for eternity, even as we grow in holiness. And, and that's super important. We can't get these things confused. That was really what the Protestant Reformation was all about, is the Roman Catholic Church, largely because they had a really bad translation of the Bible, they said that what you do contributes to your justification. That yes, you have to have faith, but then if you do this, and if you buy this indulgence, and if you do these, these rituals, then you'll be justified. And when, when Martin Luther got a hold of the Greek New Testament and read the book of Romans, he said, no way, we are justified by faith alone. And so that was the, the crux of the Protestant Reformation. And one other thing out of that was when they began to understand each other, Rome told Luther, well, if you tell people that they're justified by faith alone, then they're going to sin like mad. You have no way to control them. And, and that right there should be a huge red flag to say, if the only way that you can keep people from sinning is by threatening them with hell, is to use fear, then something's wrong. Because perfect love casts out fear. So when we look now at what it means to live the life that's justified, don't think that if you're not doing this perfectly, you're done. And don't think, well, I, this is optional stuff. I don't have to do this. But at the same time, don't think this makes you more saved. So it's, it's important to, to, to remember that. And I will probably bring that up repeatedly because it's such a subtle shift to, to begin to lump our own good works into what, we're, um, what we think our standing with God is. So um, we're moving now into this section that, that is much more practical. And it's the way it begins is, is Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He's appealing to us. You appeal to somebody to get them to do or to believe something. So what do you have to do to be justified? Just trust God. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm putting my trust in you. But now in this section where we're talking about justification, Paul is appealing to us. He's asking us to join in and to do something. And so we do have a role in this section, and we have to do something. But he appeals to us by the mercies of God. He's appealing to us not based on, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. He's appealing to us by saying, because God has already extended mercy to you. And do you remember how last week ended? It was one time you were disobedient, but now you received mercy. And so what he's, he's, Paul is doing is he's continuing that thought. He's saying, since you've received mercy, stop being disobedient and now be obedient. So he is asking us to do something. And, and what does he ask us to do? He says, 
present your bodies. That's, that's the appeal. What we're supposed to do is present our bodies. When we looked at the doctrinal section, a lot of that was either mental, emotional, or spiritual, and not a bunch of physical things. We are justified by faith. So we, all we do is trust in God. That doesn't mean that we have to change our hair color to be justified. It's not a physical thing. It's an internal thing. God foreknew us, and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That was something that happened way apart from us. And, and when we're justified, when we come to believe this, we find these things delightful. We engage them. We love them because they're beautiful things that are true. Now, he says, I, I, I uh, appeal to you to present your body. So now our physical nature comes into this. Our physical being is brought into this whole equation, and it looks different. He wants us to present our bodies. Um, the NIV translates it as offer your bodies. That's really a poor translation. It's a poor choice of words because there's a difference between offering and presenting. When a worshiper came to the temple, they would present what they were going to offer to God. They were going to present the, uh, the goat or the ram that they would bring to God. And actually, that's kind of what the Greek word comes from. It has this sense of stand beside. So what he's saying is stand beside your body to bring it to the priest to be offered. Uh, so we're, we're not offering our bodies here. Um, that's not our role. We have a high priest who will take our offering into the temple and present it to God. We present our bodies as an offering. So there's something that we do physically, things that we physically do need to be sacrificed to God. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's not asking for suicide here. He's not saying that our physical nature is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What happens with our bodies is external. No, he says he wants us to offer them, but keep them alive and bring them as a living sacrifice. So what I think the picture here is, is he's saying that Jesus died for our sins. He was a death sacrifice, the sacrifice that died. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was the sacrifice that brought forgiveness for our sins. That was something that was external to us. When we come, we bring a living sacrifice. So our sacrifice of our body is not atoning. It is not for forgiveness of sins. So then what is it? Well, you could get into the different types of sacrifices and stuff. I don't think that's what the picture here is. The idea is it's not an atoning sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of fellowship, of friendship. It is a sacrifice of love, of devotion. And that's why he says a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. This offering our bodies, this walking in holiness with God, offering our physical nature is a form of worship. And so that's, that's what he's telling us. Now, that translation, um, which is your spiritual worship, is uh, difficult. There's a lot of translation issues in these first two verses. Um, none of them, I don't think, take us off the rails, but I think there's better ways of saying it. So the ESV footnote says, your rational service. And that's probably a more literal way of translating it. The NIV says, this is your true and proper worship, which is... is a little looser, but it's kind of not a bad way to say it. The King James says, which is your reasonable service. So what's going on there? Well, that, that spiritual, the way the ESV translates it as spiritual, the word behind that is uh, lego, which is uh, where we get the word uh, logical from. 
And so the form of this word is only used in two places. And in both places in the ESV, it's translated spiritual. Uh, but the root of it, the thought behind it really is more rational than it is spiritual. So I'm, I prefer to say, which is your rational worship? It's, it's your reasonable worship. Why that? Why is that? Well, because what he says in verse one is, we're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, and that's a rational form of worship. That's something that involves the mind. And then the very next verse, he says, renew your mind. Your, your mind has to be renewed. So I think the, the theme in these first two verses is more intellectual, more thought-oriented than it is a spiritual thing. The spiritual part has already happened to us. So what is he getting at here? He's telling us that since we have been justified by faith, since Christ's righteousness has been put on us, that was something that we didn't earn, we didn't go out and work for. It was God's free gift. It was based on his grace. Now what? Now what do we do? Do we just continue sinning that grace may abound? Remember, he asked that question. May it never be. So instead of saying just no, now he's beginning to say this is what it looks like. So you take your physicality, you take your physical body, and you no longer use it for uh, wicked pleasure, or you no longer torture it because it is something you consider to be dispensable. Now he's saying you take that physical body and you bring it to God. Well, when you bring it to God, it, it, it needs to be spotless. It needs to be pure and clean. And so take your physical nature, the way you exhibit your life in this physical world and use it in a way that would be pleasing to God. Present it as a holy, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God including your body. Your physical body needs to be holy and acceptable to God. And so there's, there are things that we have to do and things that we can't do. And to be fair, we're not going to talk about them right now. We'll see through chapters uh, 16 or uh, 12 through 16. That's where we'll begin to, to, if you'll pardon the pun, flesh that out. Um, not happy with that one. It just kind of fell out there. So that's what, what he's telling us is Paul is saying, to bring our bodies into this equation, to bring our physical nature into this equation is not something that happens accidentally. There are things that happen in our body that just happen. The, um, we breathe and we don't have to think about it. Our heart beats and we don't have to control it. Our, our food is digested and, and we don't have any control over those things. But to use our body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as a form of worship, that's something you have to think about. It requires intentionality. I remember uh, one time a man said, no one drifts into holiness. You don't stumble into it. This is something that Paul is challenging us. He's saying, now that you've been justified by faith, you have to work at this. You have to be intentional about this. You have to say, I'm going to choose to use this body in a way that is holy and pleasing to God, rather than self-indulgent or, or full of self-hate. And so now in verse 2, he goes on and he says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, when he says this world, what he mean, what the word behind that is this aeon, this age. But I think world is really a pretty good translation of it, because what age is he talking about? He's not talking about just the first century. When he says, don't be conformed to this age, he means the period from Jesus' ascension to his second coming. It is the, the way that this world works. Don't be conformed to that. It, it's, it's a passive thing. It's a passive command to not be conformed. 
Um, if you're not intentional, like we just heard about with offering your body, then you can easily slide into conforming to this world, to this age, to the way this world functions, which is at odds with God. So he's, he's telling us that the life of the justified person is one of intentionality. Now that God has shown you mercy, you live in accordance with that. You say, this is what I'm aiming for. This is what I want to do. It's not something that you accidentally are going to stumble into. It's something you have to conform to. Otherwise, if you're not renew, if you're not uh, offering your body, you will be conformed to this age. Um, and and what it is 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 it's the spirit of this age. There's a great German word for it, Zeitgeist. Uh, the Zeitgeist of this age, the, the the spirit of this age, is one of self indulgence and it's turning from God. And we heard this, like I mentioned in the prayer. Romans 5, when Adam sinned, it brought that kind of futility into this world. What was Adam's sin? Eve looked at the tree and she saw that it was, uh, was good-looking food, it was desirable to eat, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. It was all self-indulgent. What am I going to get out of this? And so she ate. But we didn't fall in Eve, did we? We fell in Adam. So Adam does all three of those things. He sees those as well. Plus he sees, hey, it didn't kill my wife. I guess I'll eat. So it, it, Adam's sin was as self-indulgent as Eve's and even worse because he used his wife as a guinea pig. And so since then, uh, Genesis 5, we were born in Adam's image. We all inherit that selfishness, that, that desire to please ourselves, that inward bend. And that's what this world, this age is conforming us to. It's drawing us. It's calling us to be self-indulgent. Look at commercials on TV or on the internet or anything. It's all about what you can be and can't you be more and wouldn't you be better if. It's all so self-indulgent. And what Paul's telling us is take your body and offer it to God and don't be conformed to this age. Don't work the way that they work. That, that's very difficult to do. And as a matter of fact, it was probably harder in the first century than it is in the 21st century, but that doesn't make it easy. Um, it, it is far too easy to drift along with what the world is doing. And the reason it's easy to do that is because sometimes it's hard to discern where they've crossed the line and where they're going wrong. So Paul has to warn us, don't be conformed. Don't let that lead you or drift you into that. But he says instead, the opposite of that is, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Um, in other words, let something else take the reins and lead you in a new way, shape you in a new way. And isn't that what sanctification is? Isn't that God saying, I have pronounced you just, and now I'm working your life to wean you off sin and wean you into, lead you into the image of Christ. That is to be transformed. And so we're going to wind up looking like freaks in this world. We're just going to look strange. People are not going to understand us. Um, what do you mean you have a sexual ethic that says sex outside of marriage is wrong? Why on earth would you think that? Why, why would you hold to such an antiquated notion that sex outside of marriage is wrong or sex between two people of the same gender is, is wrong? How, how can you think that way? And so we look like freaks to that. Or, well, how can you care for, um, for people who are in need? I mean, you know, they, they should get a job and just go take care of themselves. What do you mean you're, you're providing for somebody like that? Why would you think that way? It's, 
you're wasting your money. You're wasting your time on this person. They're never going to change. Why would you do that? And so no matter where we are, we're going to look like freaks in this because we're being transformed. So in other words, the winds of doctrine, the winds of, of culture are going to blow to and fro, and it's going to look good. We're going to agree with it at points, and we're going to disagree with it at points. But the point of it is, Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Instead, be transformed, be, be changed by the renewal of your mind. Make your mind different. Remember, he's, it's, it's a mental thing that we have to engage in. This is your reasonable worship. Your mind has to be renewed as well. And that's what Paul actually is a fairly consistent message of Paul. In Titus chapter 3, he said, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you hear the same message from Romans as repeated in Titus? Jesus comes, he brings us mercy, we are renewed now, we are washed and renewed, and that's how we are supposed to live, by, justified by grace, this is how we're supposed to live. So you need to bring your mind along and to not be conformed to the, to the present age. Um, when we say not conform to the present age, it would be easy, and, it, and the churches have made this mistake throughout history, is, is to say anything new is bad. Um, the telephone is going to destroy civilization because, you know, people aren't meeting face-to-face -face anymore. Um, television, oh, it's going to ruin everything. And so throughout history, the church has looked at new things as, as terrible. Um, that's not necessarily being conformed to the present age. Um, it's possible to live in the present age and to benefit from it because that's just part of God's commission to humanity to have dominion over the earth. Humanity can't stop doing that. That was a, 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 a commission from the, the beginning, uh, a creation ordinance, as they call it. So when we're walking in this world, we're, it, that's why it's so tricky is because not everything that the present age offers is wrong. Not everything the present age extends to us is necessarily bad. It would be so easy if all they ever did was wrong and we just said, well, whatever they're doing, we're not doing it. But that's not what's going on. We have to have our mind renewed. We have to be able to understand and, and discern these things. Because that's what he says next. He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. So in this world, he's, Paul right here is up front acknowledging this is going to be tough. This is really going to be hard to not be conformed and yet to live in this world. It takes a lot. Um, so he says by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. The word testing is actually not there in the Greek. Um, the word behind that is uh, discern, it has a, a flavor of testing or discerning or something like that. So where the, the ESV says, testing you may discern, that's actually one word. Uh, so the New American Standard says, so that you may prove what the will of God is. And, and prove would be like bringing um, silver to uh, an assayer and saying, you know, prove this, how, how pure is this? That's the idea behind that. 
So what, what he's telling us is to not be conformed to the world. The world is going to draw us. It's going to be so easy to go along with that. Don't be conformed to that. That's a passive thing. But instead, have your mind transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Passive. The Holy Spirit is working in these things. He's doing these. The result is that you will test and you will discern. You will figure out what the will of God is in these things. Now, it would be really nice if, you know, we understood God's will to be so precise that, you know, he wants you now to raise your right hand uh, seven millimeters and you are only raised at six, so you're out of the will of God. I don't think that's what he means by the will of God in this instance. I think what he's saying there is that whole offer your body as a, a living sacrifice, discerning the will of God, using wisdom, understanding, looking at these things and saying, how do I, how do I navigate this world? How do I understand these things? How do I put this together so that I can, I can do what is pleasing and good in God's sight? Um, and that takes more than just a checklist. You know, just go through and here's my checklist. Um, I don't drink, smoke, dance, play cards, play dice, or hang out with people who do. That's not necessarily what we're commanded to do. That's, that's not what's good and right. Um, it may be that playing dice with people who do might be a good thing. You never know. How do you know? You have to discern God's will in this. It's not, we don't get a book of Deuteronomy in the New Testament. We don't get a list of laws. And so we have to understand these things because they are spiritually discerned. They come from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person, that's the person who hasn't been justified, who hasn't been made new, who's not, who is conforming to this present age, who is not offering their body as living sacrifice, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. His brain is not functioning right. His mind is not working right because they are spiritually discerned. So we have to understand these things in a spiritual nature, in spiritual light, in order to get these things. So let's bring those two together, offering our body and, and renewing our mind. How? <laughs> it's been passive. It's been told, don't do this, and, and to passively do these things. So how does the Spirit do this? And, and I think the answer is from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, First Peter 1 uh, in verse 13, Peter says, therefore, preparing our minds for action, right? Get your mind right. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to what? To the passions of your former ignorance. Before you were justified, before you came to Jesus Christ, don't be conformed to those passions. Those desires need to change. Your mind needs to be renewed. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's what we're called to do, to offer our body as holy and acceptable to God. So how do we get there? How do we get to that point? That's from 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has granted us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness. How do you offer your body as a living sacrifice? How do you make it holy and, and appealing to God or acceptable to God? Through life and godliness. How do you get that? His divine power. God's divine power has granted to us all things. Oh, good. I'm glad I have all things available. How do I get them? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how do we become conformed to the image of Jesus? How do we become more holy? How do we exhibit life and godliness? Looking more like Jesus? Through the knowledge of him. It's, it's coming to a better understanding, a growing understanding of Jesus Christ that we do this. Notice our works are not part of this. It is, do you trust in Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Do you find Jesus' life beautiful? Is it compelling? It's through the knowledge of him who called you to his own glory and excellence. Well, well, is that it? I just have to muscle it up and love him more? No, he keeps going. He says, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. So to be conformed to the image of Christ to grow in life and godliness is to know him better. And by knowing him better, you are granted his precious and very great promises. Those, those things that you can latch onto and say, God, you promised that you would do this in me. You promised that you would renew my mind. Lord, you promised that you would help me to understand what it is to be your will. He's granted you those things, his great and very precious promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean you become divine. What that means is you are taking part in what the divine nature desires. You're taking part in what the divine nature is calling for. You take part in that divine nature by walking, by being conformed to Jesus Christ, which is the divine nature expressed in a human nature. So you, you do that so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You become more like Jesus, having escaped from the corruption that's in this world because of sinful desire. So this is the picture of what the justified life looks like. It is a life that is conforming ever greater to the image of Jesus Christ. It is a life that is offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. It is a mind that is growing and changing. The way that you processed and understood the world before has now become more robust. It's become more true. It's become more accurate because your brain is being conformed to the image of Christ. It's through the knowledge of him. So one of the primary means, one of the, the, the main ways that you can do this, can, you can do what Paul is telling us to do here, is through the study and the digestion and the indwelling nature of the scriptures to hear and to know them, to soak in them, um, to, to read over and over again. I'm so glad this came up at the end of the year. Next year, do a Bible reading program. Find some app or some Bible study method or some plan and commit to yourself, I'm going to read through the Bible next year. Why? So that I can see Jesus on every page. Jesus told the Pharisees, look, you guys search the scripture diligently for you. In them, you think is, is um, eternal life. And these testify to me. He's with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He says, you don't understand the Christ. And he opens up the scriptures. He opens their mind so that they can understand the scriptures. So the primary way that God has given us is to understand the Bible, to read the Bible, to go through the Bible, to struggle through the difficult parts, to sing with the Psalms 
to, to delight in the stories of David and Goliath and all of that, to work through that. And it's a challenge. It's not, you're not going to drift into it. So read through your scriptures. Promise yourself you're going to try to read through the Bible next year. Three chapters a day and you can get through it. Just commit yourself to that. Not because it will make God like you better, but because you want to know Jesus Christ better. You want, to, you want your mind transformed. You want your mind renewed. So that's the first way. Another way to do that is with us. You're not going to do it alone. You're not going to do it in isolation. You need us. And so be praying that the coronavirus vaporizes at the beginning of the year so we can all meet again because we need each other. We need to be together to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to think about each other when, when the other person is weak and we're strong. We'll see that in the next section. That's the idea of the body. We need that. And so be, be committing to those things as well. So now let me just introduce the next section, which is three through uh, eight. Um, I'm not going to dig into it. There's a lot there. I just think that with all of this in mind, we need to then look at what comes next. So he says, for the by the grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think more highly than he ought to, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with sober, sober judgment. There is a tremendous promise in the Bible. Remember those great and, and uh, very precious promises? There is a tremendous promise in the Bible repeated in two different books of the New Testament. James and Peter both say, God gives grace to the humble. Do you want more grace? Do you want to grow in grace? Do you want to grow more Christ-like? Then be humble. So what does humble mean? Well, I think that's what Paul uses his words there to explain. Not to think more so, think of yourself more highly than you ought to. So to be humble is, is I think the, the C.S. Lewis quote is exact, exactly right here. Being humble is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. So you become less important. I think the best way to encapsulate what the Bible says about humility is to agree with God about who you are. To, to see who you are as God has defined you. To not think more highly of yourself. Because he's going to give us a list of gifts here. And these gifts are all other focused. And some of them can tend to inflate you. Um, prophecy, teaching, if you're not careful saying, I, I'm only doing this because of God, because God has, has, has established it this way, you can begin to think, you know what, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I'm a pretty smart guy. I got this thing figured out. You know, these people really like me. I must really be groovy. That's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. But you should think with sober judgment, which is to say everything that Paul has taught us in, in uh, Romans 1 through 11. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all of us, including you, including me. And so I'm not going to think more highly of myself. Now, I consider myself reformed. I, I consider my tribe the reformed uh, community. And one of the things that kind of bugs me in reformed circles sometimes is there is such a stress on the fact that we're all sinners that we think we're all terrible. I saw a cartoon this week. It had uh, reformed Santa with his naughty and nice list. And the only person on the nice side was Jesus and everybody else was naughty. Well, if you take that approach, then you can think of yourself as less than you really are. You can think less of yourself. You say, I'm just terrible. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything. I'm, I'm horrible. I haven't done anything worthy. And you can become really self-absorbed in how terrible you are. 
And so I think if we don't understand that correctly, then we're going to be in trouble. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That includes you. He, the command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. There has to be a degree of self-love in there. You're, the husband is told to, you know, no, no man hates his own body and, and neglects it, but he loves his body and nourishes it. You, there has to be a degree of self-love that is balanced, that says, I am a sinner, and yet I'm justified. And so we have to understand ourselves not as totally worthless. Jesus came for you. You're not totally worthless, but you're not all that either, because Jesus had to come for you. You, you needed to be saved. So understand yourself with, uh, with humility. And if you understand yourself in humility, saying, God, I agree with your assessment of me, then you will be able to grow in grace and you'll be able to do the things that he's going to tell us to. He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has assigned a measure of faith to each of us. God assigned it. It's not that we drum it up or we, we, we go and search it out in us. God has given us this degree of faith. And so people have different measures of faith, different amounts of faith. And so they're going to behave in different ways. So that's the picture that he paints for us is to understand ourselves. And then the next section he talks about where uh, as one body has many members. So we have many members in the body of Christ in different functions. Right. So we have to understand that properly to say God has assigned faith. That's how we're in the body of Christ. That, that faith that we have, we're going to exercise in different ways and then look at the list of, um, of gifts that he talks about. Prophecy. You don't prophesy to yourself. You don't sit in a closed room and prophesy and announce great and wonderful things. Um, we'll understand what that means better next week, I hope. Between now and next week, hopefully I'll get it figured out. That's a tough one. Um, teaching. You don't teach yourself. Um, service. You don't help yourself. The service there is, is aimed at others. Um, exhortation, it's aimed at other people. Hey, you know, I really like the way you did that, or, or you really need to, to straighten your game up. Um, generosity, you give to other people. And in acts of mercy, you extend mercy to other people. So immediately, as we understand ourselves rightly, it focuses, focuses us not on ourselves, but outward toward the rest of the body of Christ. This is the beginning. This is scratching the surface of the life of the justified person. This is what it looks like to be a justified person, to live a justified life, is to understand yourself rightly in relationship to who God is, and then to serve and to look toward others and how you may help them. So that is all rooted in the fact that we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and that our minds are being transformed. That our, that our minds are being renewed. And so our, our whole being, body and mind, body and soul, are being shaped into the image of Christ. Anybody want to be part of a church where everybody is growing in the image of Christ? I think that would be wonderful to see all members of the body of Christ at different places, at different, different levels in that, but all of us moving together forward would be a wonderful thing. So those who are further up the chain are helping those who are behind. Those who are behind are listening to those who are further up the chain. And we're all moving not toward me, but toward Jesus Christ. And that is the kind of church that we want to be. That's the kind of church we want to grow in. That's, that's the kind of place where it would be a delight to be a member of. 
And that's what the promise here is, is as we offer our bodies as living sacrifice, as we're transformed, that's the kind of place we're going to be living in. And in the book, um, Why the Nations Rage, uh, Jonathan Lehman gives a great illustration. He said, imagine that these little capsules come down from the sky and land on the earth. And these capsules open and people step out of them. And, and, people, and the people of the earth are asking, are you from another planet? And these people say, no, no, we're from the future. And we're coming here to bring to you this, this vision of what the future is going to be like. And, and there's this coming king and, and he's going to be wonderful. You're going to love him. And, and so now you need to begin to live according to this new kingdom that's going to be coming. It's going to be excellent. And he says, that's what it's like to be a church in the world is to live in accordance with that future promise, to look forward to that and say, you guys, you've got to come along. This is going to be so wonderful. This future is going to be great. Don't stay in your capsule and don't come out of your capsule and conform to the world and say, well, I'm going to dump this, you know, and just look like everybody around me. That's not helping them. He's, he's calling us to be that, that future capsule coming back in time to this place and to live in accordance with that, that reality that we know is coming because we've already tasted, we've already experienced it. Be not conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's pray. Lord, please make each one of us individually that kind of person. Lord, would you please renew our minds, would not as playthings, but as instruments of holiness, instruments of righteousness, offer them to you. And then, Lord, would you, as a body of believers, as we begin to live that way and we connect and interact with each other as we support and love and encourage and admonish and, and teach and, and bring mercy to and give generosity to each other, Lord, would you make our little community something that is extremely odd in this world, but delightfully compelling, something that would make people look at it and go, I don't know what is up with those people, but there's something going on there. There's something I want to be part of. And Lord, it starts individually with me, with each one of the me's in this meeting right now. Lord, it starts with each one of us. And so please, Holy Spirit, be renewing our mind. Help us to conform our thoughts through the knowledge of Jesus Christ to that image. You've given us everything for life and godliness, Lord. Would you help us to grab onto that, to hold and to grow in that? And Lord, we acknowledge and we confess that we are justified by faith alone. There's nothing we're going to do that is going to contribute to our salvation. Lord, this is not contributing to, but the result of. Father, work those things in each one of us, we pray, especially in COVID, especially in politically divided times, especially in economic troubles that are brewing and, and all that weirdness, Lord, would you make us stand out as your people? And we ask this in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.